Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where as usual you'll find the two of us uh, going through some matters at the moment, things that we consider important for those of us in the hotel investment space. My name is Chris Bowne, the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And the first uh, subject we're going to cover is the finally the good news that it would appear China has abandoned its uh, zero COVID strategy and started to open up for travel once more. So it finally begins to feel like the uh, pandemic is over and the world is a much freer place to travel around again. Although, of course, uh, no sooner had China announced that they were opening up than uh, several countries around the world decided to kind of retaliate, uh, making various excuses and make it almost as difficult as possible for Chinese people to uh, land in their countries. But that by the side, we are looking forward, I think, to a much more normal year of travel. And um, for everyone who's in the hotel business, that's got to be good news with more people traveling. Yeah, absolutely. and it's a lot more people traveling and it's potentially um very very good tailwinds coming in on an already much stronger than anticipated 22 recovery so 23 could continue the excellent recovery we have seen in 22 which is super duper new so um I think you give some numbers in your report there, Chris, um, to show just how big the outbound market from China is. Yeah, so we've all forgotten, it, but it's potentially huge. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it, yeah. it's nearly double um, the US outbound market. It's incredible. So it's 255 billion US dollars against 130 billion US dollars of the US market. These are 2019 numbers because um, they're the last sane ones we've got available. Um, but, you know, if it gets back to anything like that, and as we have seen um, from um, you know the recoveries pre- uh, elsewhere they are likely to jump back to that very very quickly indeed uh, depending on how bonkers um, governments <laughs> get in terms of their restrictions of course so you know th- there ought to be a plea here to to stop this um, silliness around uh, um, you know stopping people coming into the country um, um, without a sort of COVID test. I'm not quite sure because I know what the situation here in Britain is. It seems to be that they sort of test them, but you can come in anyway if you're from China. You just get tested. It's oh. all a bit bizarre, really. I know whether I think there's you know, some pseudo scientific reason that this is oh, we're keeping a watch on uh, variants or something like this. I think they're saying, but really, I'm just not convinced by it. So. Um, Anyway, the numbers, the numbers, um, rather than going on a um, sort of a happy, happy start to um, 2023, rather than an ongoing rant about the lockdowns. And um, so the the numbers um, and what this means to the the European market, Bernstein come up with a few numbers uh, suggesting that sort of two percent of demand in Europe comes used to come from the Chinese so it's a uh, you know potentially significant I mean it's not going to blow your socks off kind of level but it's significant adding into what is already a decent recovery and plus as we get other long-haul outbound coming back as well this is pretty decent so for for European based 
um, operators this is good news but it's, it's particularly good news I think for the global majors um, again Bernstein saying that uh, China represents 12% of global lodging demand and this has effectively been offline um, mm. um, but that coming back is is hugely um, beneficial to uh, the, the, the global majors and the, the big winner here actually is Accor because they've got the biggest exposure to the to China and the wider Asia Pacific region and of course the the big outbound piece um, hits um, Asia Pacific um, um, way before uh, Europe or North America I mean it's very marginal in North America something like one percent but in, in the rest of Asia um, 29 percent of all cross-border traffic is Chinese driven so this is very significant to that market and it's going to make a huge difference there huge difference there it's kind of ironic I think that Accor has this week announced the sale of its stake in H-World formerly known as uh, Wazoo um, what was it called before that China Lodging wasn't it I think mm, um, it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, um, and it's so Accor sold 3.3 it's 3.3 percent stake in H World for uh, uh, 460 million uh, US mm. dollars, which is not bad. And Morgan Stanley reckon it in all told, um, its investment in uh, H World Wazoo China Lodging <laughs> um, netted them a one billion US dollar gain. So not bad, really. Um, I think um, Accor shareholders probably looking at that, thinking, "Well, <laughs> they should have joined Accor in investing in in, um, in, in uh, China Lodging at the time, because that's clearly made a, a fabulous return, actually." But uh, we'll see. And you know what this means as well. It, it, we're gonna. It, I think w w the the big picture here is what it means for the existing uh, Chinese investment um, in Europe and other. Um, places around the world in hotel groups so of course Xinjiang is the big one here what's it going to do we're long tipping it to sell out um, will it will you know maybe they'll confound our expectations and hang on to its investment in Louvre its um, investment in the non uh, America's bit of Radisson that it still owns um, um, maybe not and, and indeed H world you know will it hang on to um its investment in uh Deutsche hospitality mm. aka steigenberger um that that's another question mark i think we've got we've got around all of this stuff so um now we're finally getting back to some sense of normality in the tr in in asian travel um it should become a, a lot clearer over the next few months and years exactly what's going to be happening there and it's certainly a key one to watch now the next thing we're having a look at is what's going on in the student accommodation market uh, in the uk where it, there's been several moves recently which suggest that perhaps the whole thing is starting to move into a much more mature uh, phase um, and one reason for that is that uh, the Singaporean uh, investor City Developments um, who of course are, are big in hotels only Millennium and Copthorne chain they've actually started buying quite significantly uh, student assets in the UK and in December they spent 215 million pounds 
buying five uh, student housing assets. We've also recently had a decision from the UK's Competition and Markets Authority. Um, they ran the rule over a uh, merger deal and have decided that by and large it's okay, subject to a, a little local disposal. Um, which uh, allows uh, another Singaporean investor, GIC, uh, partnering with Greystar, to um, to buy stu the Student Roost brand in the UK and add it to uh, their other student-oriented businesses. So um, certainly a feeling that uh, things are things are maturing in this market, and of course uh, there are continuing concerns about whether or not um, uh, the the students population at large can continue to be asked to pay inflation busting uh, rent, rent rises year on year um, or is, are the pips going to start squeaking before very long it's the parents that are squeaking Chris right. it's not the pips okay I speak as <laughs> with my eldest about she's about to head to university right. hopefully in September and it's it's me that will be squeaking yes <laughs> uh, right. um yeah so um our interest here is of course um the, the the hospitality investors and what's fascinating to see is how we've got traditional hospitality investors um spreading their wings into these uh hotel alternatives um in, in you know the other buildings with beds which are out there and in particular i mean you you went into cdl um mm. chris so uh, um of course cdl the the, the owner of uh, millennium and copthorne which was taken off the the london stock exchange in a privatization um and what cdl have done they've they've, they've been recycling some of the cash um from hotel property sales into these um, sectors other sectors so um, CDL uh, a year ago uh, banked a, a nice uh, 1.26 billion from the sale of its Millennium Hilton Seoul um, there was a bit of land attached to that as well which helped it reach that heady price and uh, Chairman Quickling Beng said at, th at the time of the deal um, quote ever since i led our foray into the hotel industry in the 1970s we have amassed a portfolio of valuable assets through strategic acquisitions and geographical expansion many of these assets have been held at book value for decades Ooh, nice. in other words i think what the, the reading between the lines there is a uh, we we did quite well in our privatization of of these assets um and we can flog a few of them off and make a killing mm -hmm. um it was it was my take on that um um as well as that sole asset of uh um what that that was about the fourth hotel they sold that sole property by far the biggest they've sold a couple more uh singapore hotels including the w at sentosa cove um and they're recycling this stuff into as you said uh um chris into PBSA purpose-built student accommodation and uh, build-to-rent stuff as well and, and including in the UK so um, if you, it was quite interesting you look at you know what's motivating this and they're saying well look 
um, hospitality they drew up this nice was like a nice graph um, and the consultants obviously been in there and they had a nice graph with uh, on one axis they had level of service and on the other axis they had length of stay and length of stay starting a long stay if you like a zero and going out to short term and you know in the upper right bit of the graph was um, hospitality which is uh, um, both you know very much a short stay thing and very much a um, full service offer um, and and in the middle there's a whole bunch of stuff they talked about such as private rentals uh, workers dormitories very much a Singapore thing I think uh, senior housing um, affordable housing and student accommodation um, less hospitality connected on the on their sort of graph and plotting was uh, build to sell stuff which is right down which is you know not particularly full service and not particularly uh, short term um, for obvious reasons so but th th those other bits I've just mentioned they do see them able to transfer their skill sets they've developed uh, in hospitality across into these uh, um, hotel alternative um industries um it's not all one way um there is money coming into hotels still um i mean cdl hospitality trusts which is the reit uh, connected to cdl a separate listing um that put its money into the hotel brooklyn in manchester in february last year um, relatively small deal 22.8 million but they said they had a, one thing I never hadn't uh, picked up was a net property income yield of 7.4 percent so that's quite an attractive deal mm. they got there actually but but what you do see overall is the recycling of the capital from these hotel investments going into into these um, operational real estate industry verticals um, adjacent to hotels um, and the, the attraction is is you know potentially obviously high yields as but not always um and particularly from an investor perspective it's diversification which is appealing um so that you know the, the, there's quite tight yields now in the uh, uk student housing market for example um and some of the build to rent stuff um so it, it's not just a question of you know that the 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 chasing of the higher yields is pushing them into this they just want to have a broader base for the business which kind of makes a lot of sense and it's quite interesting as well they're unlocking all sorts of opportunities and it's interesting to see you know the, these uh you know intercontinental sort of deals coming through as well so it's uh, i think it's encouraging i think it just shows just how dynamic this sector is going to be and how much you know hotels do indeed hold the key to unlocking all this now next up we're going to have a look at what's going on in the kind of rentals and holiday rentals area um because the runners and riders are sort of um lining up as things get busy once more setting out their stall trying to impress not just the consumers or the providers but also the regulators um, and uh, so we've seen recently a uh, note from um, uh, Sykes Cottages and the Short-Term Accommodation Association in the UK who had uh, Oxford Economics do a little independent assessment of uh, the impact of short-term rentals you know trying to prove to us all that they're, they're not all about um, uh, taking uh, village properties and, and, and 
at pricing them out of out of the the price range of, of local residents, um, de- pointing out the kind of benefits, the economic benefits of uh, bringing holidaymakers to uh, particular parts of uh, uh, of a locality, uh, and we've also seen Airbnb being um, a bit brave and um, calling on European regulators to. Uh, push a bit harder. They're proposing so the, the European Commission is proposing some some changes to regulation, and Airbnb is frankly fed up with the fact that despite the European Union apparently being a single market, um, there are lots of uh, local fiefdoms who can make uh, it, it dreadfully difficult for uh, their their hosts to to list uh, and and get their properties uh, uh, list ready for listing in in various jurisdictions um, and they point out that certain um, city and country markets um, are just you know the authorities are just plain awkward and just get in the way of a host legally uh, getting their, their their property ready for for listing so um, uh, this this whole business of you know how how good or bad is uh, is alternative accommodation for a city, for a for a town, or for a region, uh, is one that will obviously be be discussed uh, ad infinitum. But um, yeah, the uh, the providers are, are keen to point out the upside and not the downside of um, what they can deliver. Yes, hello Airbnb and other private rental friends. Welcome to the world of regulated short-term accommodation. <laughs> Hotel operators have been living here for quite a while, and they will gladly check you in. Um, We've been arguing on this podcast and in the pages of Hotel Analyst for quite a while um, that, you know, yeah, we've got significant beef with Airbnb and their pals in terms of, you know, they're doing regulated regulatory arbitrage and, you know, part of their business model is is that. Um, but they are being, you know, that that is catching up with them a bit. And I think really that wider short-term accommodation industry needs to stand shoulder to shoulder with these regulators these planners and these local politicians who seem to want to make short-term accommodation a scapegoat for the failures of their um, long-term housing planning Um, so it's much easier isn't it to say oh you know we've messed up in um, trying to allocate planning um, to enable you know apartments and houses to be built it's much easier to finger a um a tourist um tourists don't vote you know which is the great great thing from a local politician's perspective so let's stick it to the tourist um as uh, was it pulp that sang nobody likes a tourist and it is that is that you know that i'm afraid that is what's happening at the moment and um, it will continue to happen um you know and we we as an industry should be saying look this is silly there's lots of benefits to having short-term accommodation yes there has to be regulation and we can point to our friends in the corner then um, um but at the same time we we are at one with them in saying it we are a necessary part of the economy and you will damage the overall economy if you um, try and res- overly restrict us and uh, some of the hassle of this can be seen in you know I, I suppose the archetypes Barcelona but there's a bunch of other you know Amsterdam there's a whole bunch you know Edinburgh London it's 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 there or thereabouts in many many uh, major urban areas 
and often sometimes as well we're seeing it in uh, you know fancy seaside resorts and even just shishi parts of the countryside where the locals say you know um, we don't fancy any development here that might um, make our house prices go down or spoil a little bit of our pleasant view so you know off off you go please and of course they have the connections and the and and the wealth to sort of ensure that the developers are are pushed out and actually this is a long-term you know detriment to the wider economy and and our and our sector as well so you know i think i think we need to join in with airbnb um in their fun in their sort of uh their, their campaigns around this um i i think that that all said um given what seems to be happening at the moment which is a slowing of the overall residential market it's probably going to take a little bit of the heat out of this debate um, the us has seen quite a marked turn in demand for apartments um, the second half of uh, last year it turned negative for the first time since 2009 and we're seeing house prices trend down in many parts of europe as well the uk but i think there's some other bits uh sweden i think is a particularly notable example where um you know house prices are um now coming off quite markedly um I, and i think um that will take a little bit of heat out of this debate one thing i think um is going to make it very much tougher for is the whole co-living co piece um you know if apartments start getting a lot cheaper why on earth are you going to put up with <laughs> the a shared one um mm. you know very yeah a rabbit hutch i was <laughs> going to say well, that's been a bit rude isn't it um but <laughs> you're, you're not going to do that and uh and i think that's going to be a lot tougher um for them i think um that'll make that but hopefully it will make other um short-term accommodation uh, even shorter term accommodation um, such as hotels are slightly easier I'm not expecting it to suddenly um, you know Barcelona to suddenly change their mind for example but um, um, the other thing I think which is worth noting here is you know we've got this cyclical um, problem um, in terms of the the apartment side and, and housing market and the sort of single um the single family home market um but there's also a long-term secular issue likely uh, emerging here um which is demographics and um, fewer and fewer young people um who want these apartments so you know this may be a good case that some of the service department providers etc can move in on this stuff um, eventually once once we get to some sort of sense of equilibrium I think that's a little way off but uh, um, and I certainly think the grey pound is going to be uh, uh, key here as well um, you know they're going to be wanting to spend money on travel and wanting service departments and maybe we'll see some of them turned into um, sort of retirement living or whatever it's called this week <laughs> now time for our five star and no star awards and i'm as an ev uh, driver and uh, electric vehicle advocate i am awarding five stars this week to a new website called sleepercharger.com uh, it combines information about uh, hotel and accommodation listings which they've they've grabbed from uh, expedia with um, information about where you can get your vehicle charged either at, at the particular hotel or 
rental accommodation or if there's a charger within 250 meters of the property very helpful information if you've got an EV uh, and you're used to charging it at home then when you go away you absolutely want to be able to charge it overnight in a very similar way wherever you're staying yeah we've talked about this on a on a podcast dedicated to the subject didn't we chris but uh, <clears throat> but what i mean it's interesting is at the moment the whole ev piece this infrastructure has slightly lagged the sales mm-hmm. of the vehicles and these reports of three hour waits to get your tesla charged um aren't helping i'd, I'd suggest but uh, um, do you where do you charge yours at I home i have a home mostly, charger you, yes or? yes i've got off street parking oh, and right. i can charge at home yep yep yeah, you, you you won't be pleased to hear that we um, um, got rid of our while well, we had a um, a contract um, um, hybrid and um, but that um, and we were running around Cambridge with that um, on mostly on electric charge. But our electric bill went down dramatically when we st- when we got rid of it and we switched back to a belching diesel monster. Um, so um, there's quite yeah. So actually, funnily enough, I think it's it's been for us. It's actually been cheaper to run the diesel thing than it has been the electric. But maybe that's just how it worked out for us. I don't know. So I think there's still quite a bit of ways to mm. go with this but it's certainly helpful if we get a bit of infrastructure out there for a start anyway so it's a, a yeah. good thing oh yes so this is what's going on in um japan with the uh, uh distressed chain uniso so um that this this um, was subject to a bit of a battle between uh, Lone Star and a bunch of other private equity types including Blackstone a year or so ago and um, Lone Star won out but um, I suspect they might be regretting their win now um, because what, what what's happened is um, their uh, the bonds of this um, chain have now been downgraded to junk status so it's looking um, looking a bit grim i mean it was obviously already in trouble which is why lone star has um, leapt on it but uh, i <clears throat> without knowing the details of the deal i don't know whether this is a net good thing for lone star and that'll actually give them control or it'll be a bad thing and that it'll cost them money we'll have to we'll have to wait and, and see and on that salutary note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>